Thank you for listening in to the King's Chapel podcast. We hope this message is a blessing to you. Please stay tuned after the message for more information about King's Chapel. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew 20, Matthew chapter 20, and uh, been going through the book of Matthew together for a while now, and uh, Matthew chapter 20. As we've been going through this part, um, 19 and 20, we've called this little block of texts, we've called it uh, a little mini-series called Controversy. Um, and, and what a week to be preaching in, about controversy. Um, in fact, it's, it's pretty amazing as I watch the events unfold um, of this week, uh, how much it paralleled with the passage or had some parallels with the passage we're looking at today because the controversy involves this issue, positions of power. And this is what, and there was a big part of me that didn't want to show this picture because we've just, we, this is all that we've, you know, the last, last week or so, this picture. Because this is, you know, we've just been inundated with this. But, but what has... What has this all been about? It's about who is going to sit in a very, very powerful seat. Who is the type of person that gets to occupy that? Who is the person that gets to have that kind of authority? What kind of qualifications should they have? What kind of things should disqualify them? And all, all of this that we've seen has been a fight over a seat of power, and it's an incredible seat of power. But as we've seen with this little mini-series about controversy, what someone else thinks and what Jesus says in return are often two different things. We had a Pharisee who came and questioned him about divorce and was not expecting the words that Jesus had. We had disciples who were upset about children coming to, him, to Jesus, and Jesus, Jesus had words for them that were very surprising. We had a rich young man who, who was very wealthy and had a position of status, and, and the words of Jesus to him were controversial and surprising, and this is what we're going to see again today. Who gets to sit when it comes, here's the controversy, when it comes to the kingdom of Jesus, who gets to sit, who gets the seats of power in Jesus' kingdom? Who gets to sit in those seats? We've seen this question come up already a couple of times. Beginning of chapter 18, do you remember the disciples asked Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Do you remember last week, when we were looking at the rich young ruler, and after Jesus had his interaction with the rich young ruler, Peter speaks up and says, <clears throat> you just promised that man eternal life and treasures in heaven if he follows you, and we've been doing that, what about us? And Jesus says to his disciples, you 12 who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones with me in the coming age. There are seats of power in the, in the kingdom. There are seats of influence but who gets to sit on the, in these? And so Jesus is making, he's made his trip from Galilee in the north down to, if you remember from Galilee up here, he's headed now to finally Jerusalem, his last trip where he'll be crucified. Next week we'll be looking at the triumphal entry as he enters. But he was here on the, the east side of the Jordan River. He's crossed over and today he's going to be here in Jericho 
as he heads toward Jerusalem. And so the events are gonna center right around, and Jericho's, this doesn't really have much to do with the sermon, but for those of you who like this kind of stuff, like me, um, here's, here's kind of an idea of what Jericho is like. There we go. So Jericho is here in the plain. I don't know if you can see that very well where you are. Jericho is here in the plain, and then there's this, uh, the topography completely changes to this, this mountainous area right on the edge of Jericho. Just go on to the next one. You can see a few different ones here. Here's coming from the other side. Here's Jer- here's, here are the mountains the, over here. Jericho, there's the Dead Sea. This, the Jordan River is way over there. So Jericho has this spot right next to uh, the hill country. And so here's another kind of shot of it. And so they're coming from the other side up and they're going to go, and now you see why they always say about Jerusalem going up to Jerusalem, right? Uh, Like we think in terms of maps, so like up is north and down is south. Um, When you have to walk where you're going or or ride an animal, you're very much more aware of what is up and what is down, um, uphill, downhill. So they're, they're going literally up to eventually to Jerusalem. And so let's look at it here. Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse number 17. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Now, just as a little bit of a side, go go back one verse. Historically, you know, there is this, this debate sometimes over who killed Jesus. Was it the Jews or the Romans? Who was responsible for his death? A lot of anti-Semitism, and especially the Middle Ages, was going on because the Jews were blamed for the one who killed the Messiah. Who does Jesus point to? The chief priest, the scribes, will condemn him to death. They will say guilty and hand it over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. What's the point? Jesus is going to Jerusalem to die, and we're all complicit. Jew, Gentile alike conspired against Jesus to die. Now, this is the third time that Matthew has included these words of Jesus as they are turning toward Jerusalem, that he is going there, and in that place, he will die. And this, this provides some tension that we'll see in just a moment when he heals, as we heard the choir sing about, as he heals a blind man and this big crowd comes to follow them to going up to Jerusalem with this crowd behind them and everybody's all excited, but yet Matthew has already put a cloud over the whole thing. He's going there. And though things look like a triumph, he's going there to be crucified and die. And so Matthew continues in his account. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons. Sons of Zebedee would be James and John, um, two of the three of the inner circle of Peter, James, and John. James and John, so the picture is, is their mom along with these two men um, who were probably young adults. We don't know how old they were, but they came up and 
Kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one on your left, in your kingdom. What is, he, what, what is she asking? Give them an important seat. Put my sons, I mean, this is, this is a great mom, right? Put my sons in, in seats of power in your kingdom. You, you see these articles sometimes, maybe you've not seen them, I see them occasionally. Um, people who, who want to pick on, on younger adults and say, look at all these you know, millennials. They're, they're, their moms are, are going with them or their dads are going with them to interviews or calling to get them these things and they, they, they hate on them. And, and, and what we see here is that this is not anything new. Um, here's, here's these two men, and it, and it calls them sons, not boys. So sons, these were, these were adults. These two men, their mom comes, says, come on boys, let's go talk to Jesus. Can they have, can one sit on, one, on your right hand and one on the other? Can these, can these be like, you know, be positions of power? And Jesus responds, verse 22. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, they being Peter and John, the sons of Zebedee, and they said to him, we are able. So here's the, here's the first clue, and we're not gonna spell it out just yet. But that there is a price to pay to sit in a seat of power in Jesus' kingdom. He said, you don't know what you're asking. This is a high price. This is a high ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am able to drink. And he's referring to his coming crucifixion that he had just foretold. He's talking about the cup when he had in, in the garden as he was praying to the Father, let this, if it's possible, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. And he asked them, are you able to drink of the same cup? And they said, we are able, verse 23. And then he said to them, you will drink my cup. And this is what church history bears out, that all of the disciples, all the, except for John, were martyred for their faith. And, and John wasn't, not martyred because he was spared in some way, I mean, he was spared, but it was because they tried and failed. And so in fact, these men would in fact drink of the cup that Jesus gives. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared by my Father. Look at verse 24. Oh, sorry, so let's stop there. So here's what's happened so far. You're following it. Jesus said, there are seats. There will be someone who sits at my left and on my right. He told the apostles, in the previous chapter, that, those, that the 12 would sit on 12 thrones with him. But who's gonna sit on my right and my left? That's, that is up to my father. And in a sense, he tells these disciples that they will suffer martyrdom. They will suffer, they will drink of the same cup that Jesus does. Just as Jesus will give his life, so will the, the, the disciples. And so the question of this, who will sit in the seats of power in the kingdom? 
Who will have influence and authority? Is a question that Jesus does not answer by saying, no such seed exists. It's going to be this utopia where everybody is, is equal and we'll all sit around a campfire and, and roast marshmallows and we'll all be one. No, these things exist in the kingdom. Remember he had just told the, the disciples that not only that they would sit on 12 thrones and judge, but that everyone who has left houses or land or father or mother will receive a reward 100 times as much in the kingdom. This is all last week. So Jesus says to them, you're, you're asking a question that I can't grant to you, but to those who it will be granted will drink of the cup that I sit at. Now, if you are one of the other disciples and you overheard this conversation. And in my mind, it, it, here's, here's just how my mind works, reading between the lines of scripture. I picture um, James and John's mother as this like sweet southern lady. You know, oh, you know, putting her arm around Jesus. Well, I mean, she, you know, she came kneeling. But you know, this lady that's just, she is hard to say no to. I mean, this is just one of these ladies that, that when she asks, you just want to say, oh yeah, let's do that. So the other, so the other 10 apparently overhear this of James and John with their mama trying to get out in front of everybody else as they're going into Jerusalem and, and it appears, because this question keeps coming, that, that who's gonna be the greatest? And who, it appears that the disciples are saying, all right, we're, we're going to, to Jerusalem and something's going to happen. The kingdom is going to be set up. Let's make sure that we get in, in place. Let's get out in front. Let's call dibs on that seat. And so verse number, the next one, 24. And when the 10 heard it, can you blame them really when the ten heard it they were indignant at the two brothers so here's what this shows the other ten they were in the same mental state as James and John and their mom they just were mad because they didn't think of this first right because if, if they were okay, all right, you know what, James and John, you guys are, you know, you're two of the, of the three, and yeah, you should be. No, 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 they're mad. They, they wanted that seat, and they're just mad that they didn't ask first. You ever had somebody have some sort of idea and get ahead of you on something, and you're like, oh, why didn't I think of that? I should have. This is what's going on. They're proving that their heart is in the exact same place. They just got beat out by the mom. But Jesus takes this conversation in an entirely different way. Look at it. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. What's he saying? He's saying when it comes to seats of power in our world, the rulers of the Gentiles. How do they get there? And when they get there, how do they operate? They operate by lording it over and by exercising authority. And this is how our world continues to work today. If you want to sit in a seat of, of prominence, of power, you have to be a person who exercises authority 
and lords it over other people who say, who say yeah, do this, do this, do this, do this for me. This is what, I mean, you, you, you are the one in charge. You're the one that calls the shots. You're the one who gives orders and not takes them. I mean, this is, this is you know, if you're the, and, and if like, you're the boss at a, at a you know, if, if you're a boss at where you work, that's, that's how this stuff works. You tell people what to do when they do it. And this is the way that our world works. I still remember when, uh, when Pope Francis was a, a new pope and there was this article that I saw um, where he had checked out of his own hotel um, and everybody was like just shocked that, that the pope um, would do something as simple for himself as checking out of his own hotel room. It was like this big, I mean, it made the news. It was really strange because this is the way, this is the way that it works. And the disciples are trying to get out in front of this. Look at verse 26. It shall not be so among you. The way that Jesus' kingdom works and the way that the kingdom of this world works are two separate things. The rulers in the kingdom don't work this way. It says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, not even the king is lording it over. Not even the king is exercising the authority that he has. Jesus is not asking his disciples to do something that he himself is not doing. Jesus will drink of the cup first and then the disciples. Being great in the kingdom is not, is not learning how to be the boss learning how to tell people what to do, learning how to get them to do the things that you want them to do. Great in the kingdom is about serving and giving. You see, true humility, biblical. So here we are, humility. And have you noticed this? This is like the third time we've been on this topic. And I'm as, and it, and it, I'm as uncomfortable and it, it convicts me just as much today as it did at the beginning. Because we all want to be something, be somebody, be important, make a name for ourselves. And Jesus keeps coming back to this. You want to be great in the kingdom? Verse, chapter 18. Whoever would be great in the kingdom must become humble like a child. You want to be great in the kingdom? The the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over, but in my kingdom, the greatest among you, the first will be like a servant, the greatest will be like a slave. It's all about humility. Next. See, entering Jerusalem, Jesus will trade a a donkey or a donkey for a stallion, I said that backwards, a towel for a sword and a cross for a crown. Here's what we're gonna see next week. He's not going to enter Jerusalem on a horse. He's going to enter on a donkey. 
He's gonna gather his disciples and not arm them for war, but wash their feet with a towel. And he will trade a cross for a crown. He is about to enter Jerusalem as the king and practice humility. See, biblical humility is not negative self-image or self-worth. When we talk about humility, this is not saying I'm awful, I'm terrible, I'm the worst, I'm the least. In fact, sometimes that's just more pride heaping it on yourself. Did you catch the verbs? Hopefully you did because I put them in yellow to help you. Did you catch the verbs that Jesus used when it came to this whole idea? Biblical humility instead, let's go back to where we were. Biblical humility is serving and giving. You see, if we make, if we make humility an emotional thing, we're always gonna struggle with am I doing it? If we make it a self-image thing, that's almost too abstract. Jesus says this, you wanna, be, you wanna be humble? You wanna be great in the kingdom? You wanna be in line for an important seat in the coming age? The great ones in the kingdom are gonna be people who serve and people who give. So the question that we ask ourselves this morning as we apply this to our lives, because I'll say this, the disciples' desire to be great in the kingdom was not in itself a bad desire. We should all want to give all our all for the kingdom of Jesus. We should all want to give everything. We should want to be the best for him that we can. We should want him to be happy and proud of the way that we live our lives for him. We want to have rewards when we stand before him. We want to be great in the kingdom. It's just that the path to that is not the path of the world. It's the path of humility. This is the way that we go. So when we look at ourselves and we evaluate, am I living a life of humility? The question is, who are you serving and to whom are you giving? How are you using your life in service to other believers, to family members, to the poor, to sick, to all kinds? And how am I giving? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. With your breath, with your energy, with your money, with your time, are you using it to exercise authority, to tell people what to do, to get them to do the things that you would want them to do? Or are you using your life to serve and to give? You see, there are rewards in Jesus' kingdom. And there are positions of authority in Jesus' kingdom. These things exist. Next. But they're reserved for those who drink from his cup of humility. And for most of us, the cup will not be the cup of dying for the cause of Christ. Though if it comes to that, we must be ready. Jesus displayed the ultimate humility by giving of his entire life. But that cup of giving, 
that cup of humility, all of us who are believers must learn to drink from. That it's not about status or position or authority, but it's about humility. The question for us this morning is this. You wanna be great in the kingdom. You wanna find that position of power, not in this life. The positions of power, did you notice, are promised for the age to come. The rewards are promised in the age to come. For this life, it's a life of humility and service and giving. Oh, how our government would be different if the people in power had to display their service and their giving as their number one quality. I'm not speaking at all to the events of this week necessarily. But if, what if our government acted this way? What if our city council acted this way? What if when we went to vote, that was, that was what people campaigned on? Our world would be so different. But in the church, that should be normal. That should be how we operate. We should be looking for ways to give and serve one another. We should be looking for ways to give to and to serve our community. What an incredible opportunity we will have especially at our new facility, being right next door to a school to give to and to serve teachers and students and parents. People are already, are already expecting or excited for and expecting us to come. The question is this, when we get there, will we be ready? It's, it's interesting as I go around town and I talk with people, um, more, here's what I'm finding, I don't know if you find this, more people know where we're going to be than where we are now. And that's, that's you know, I, I'm in a lot of people's house every week for you know, the real estate side of my life and I talk to a lot of people and they ask, you know, do you do this full time? And I say, no, this, is, this job just supports my pastoring habit. And they say, well, what, what church do you go to and, or what church do you pastor? And I say, King's Chapel. And nobody ever knows where we are, um, which is interesting. Um, but more and more and more people are saying, I saw your sign. You're gonna be over there by Cherokee, yeah? And I said, yeah, that's where we're headed. That's us, that's where we're headed. The question is this, are we going to be ready to serve? Are we gonna be ready to give? Are we going to be ready to be a great church in the kingdom? Because being great in the kingdom, a great church is not about status. It's not about lording it over. It's about serving. So Jesus says this to his disciples. And as now he leaves, Jer <coughs> leaves Jericho, these last few verses are really kind of the segue, I think, between, between this week and next week. So let, let these verses kind of be the cliffhanger um, of, of the sermon that, that kind of point us to next week. And it says, and as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. So again, we've got this kind of this tension that he said he's going to die. He's going to drink of this cup. The disciples are going to need to be people who serve and not be served. But then yet at the same time, he comes out of Jericho and there's this throng of people following him. Now, remember this. This is all taking place in an area that Jesus had not really done much in his ministry. 
Most of his ministry had been in Galilee in the north. My guess is that this crowd who is following him had heard all the stories about Galilee, but had never seen it with their own eyes. It says, and behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus had pity. Or, and Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. And this is kind of the cliffhanger for next week. Jesus, the one who said, the greatest among you will be the one who serves, is now headed toward Jerusalem with an excited crowd who had just witnessed an amazing miracle and these blind men come and they're part of the procession and they're headed to Jerusalem and what awaits? It's an exciting time but we know that Jesus will drink of the cup. And so this morning we are reminded that to be a Christian is to be a person of humility. And humility means serving and giving. Let's pray together. Father. Thanks again for checking out this week's message. If you are interested in finding out more about King's Chapel, please visit our website at kingschapel.church. There you can find service times and more ways to connect with us. You can also follow us on social media at King's Chapel SGF. We look forward to seeing you soon.